You're listening to the Parents Who Talk podcast. We're here to help you find commonality and community in parenthood. Now let's talk. Welcome to this week's episode of our podcast. Um, I just wanted to share a little friendly reminder with all of our Arizona people that you need to be registered to vote by October 5th. That is the deadline to register at whatever current address you are currently living at. So let's do our civic duty and vote. Okay, today we're going to be talking about pivoting, which is the buzzword of the month. Pivoting in life. Pivot! <laughs> pivot! It's pivot. Pivot! He says pivot. pivot. If you haven't watched Friends, you don't understand, and I can't help you. Um, That's the title episode is just pivot, pivot, pivot. Yeah. So when I think of pivot, I think of, in regards to parenting, is that you're constantly, like literally every day is something new. Your kids are older and you're they're learning new things. And so you constantly have to be in this like evolving mode, would you say? Yeah. So you say, <laughs> my dudes. <laughs> Sorry, you're going to have to call this out. No, um, I'm just like so distracted by this blanket that we're sitting underneath right now for the audio quality. You guys realize what we do to maximize our audio quality? We're literally sitting under a quilt on the floor in our bedroom with our door closed it's conservatively 98 degrees under the blanket i'm dying anyways so pivoting pivoting in parenting pivoting in general i think pivoting to me is it's about having it in a direction that you're intending on going and then having to change what you were completely intending on doing so and it's about having fluid expectations i think is the like not being so stuck in your expectations of yourself your children your life and things like that so like with kids for example i feel like one of the things we're learning with jane is to not like have these really rigid expectations of hey i'm saying it's time to go to bed or hey i'm saying it's bath time and i expect you to respond like right now like stop what you're doing and then i expect you to change right now so like I have always had this expectation of being a parent that like my children would be obedient and that they would listen to me and that you have that expectation as a parent that you're like, Oh, you're like, my kids are going to listen to me. Like my kids, it's not even that they would, it's like they should, like they should listen to me because I am their parent. But they're their own people and we have to let them. I think it was Ralphie Jacobs or simply on purpose who talked about how if if you asked an adult to do something they're not going to respond immediately and do it right away so why are we asking this of our kids and to an extent i think that is very true and something that we should always keep in mind when we're you know demanding all these things from our kids all day long and i'm such a hypocrite about this because i'm i have little patience once the clock hits five o'clock well, that's that's really what I'm thinking about is like the one thing that Ralph uh, Ralph is her name yeah, yeah one thing she said was why is it that we expect like when I say hey I need you to come here that I expect you to come here right now and if you don't I get like ticked about it 
I get upset or you get in trouble as the child and I feel totally validated and like vilified in making that expectation. That's, that's the thing. The problem is like when it comes to pivoting with parenting is we need to be willing to realize that our kids are just little micro versions of ourselves and we're basically not much different than they are. They just, we just have a few more years under our belt. So we need to have more fair expectations of them and be willing to like pivot with the different curveballs that they throw at us. So like this week, Jane's been super emotional. <laughs> like she'll like today you guys FaceTimed me when I was at work and she was just super like sad and crying about the fact that she missed me, which was super cute. And I love that. But now I'm like, dang, like now how am I going to anticipate the fact that she's, is this a new thing that she's going to keep doing that she's like super sad when I leave or like so many things have triggered her this week that I'm, those are the kind of little micro pivots that I think that we have to make, even if it's not a long-term change, just like their moods change and like she could just be having a rough week. And so we need to be willing to take that into account and change how we're treating her or change what our expectations of are of her because for some reason we need to meet her where she's at. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like this pandemic has really stretched people and forced people to pivot as far as people, parents having to go remote and then go back to work and figure out childcare. And there's so many changes. And something I've realized throughout this is no one likes change. Human beings have a very limited capacity to like accept change and roll with it um without putting up some sort of a fight it's just like our, i think it's our natural fight or flight response so whenever change comes to us we're not we're not welcome it we like to be in like doing the exact same things every day we like to be not having to anticipate changing our behaviors and things like that so that's why i think if there's one good thing that's come out of this is it's teaching us as a society parents schools religion like all these different aspects of our life that we need to be willing to pivot we need to be less rigid in what our expectations are of what our daily lives are going to be and just focus in on the fundamentals so like one thing that i was thinking about today is like when i got home i'm sitting there on the couch and jane and jack are just like running around having the best time screaming and laughing like jane's freaking in love with alexa and has her blasting music like 24 7 but I'm sitting there and like there's toys everywhere and it's super messy and I constantly have this urge I'm like oh I got I got to clean up like the house is super messy and then I think I'm like I could literally sit here and clean or I could complain to Jane that she keeps making a mess or I could just like sit here and enjoy my kids and like interact with them and actually like Jane because the whole purpose of me sitting on the couch was Jane was so adamant about hey dad I want to put on a play for you and so she's singing and dancing and Jack's like contributing. And I could have just easily been like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's so great. Keep going. And I could just like kind of be picking up and trying to clean and not really paying attention or I could send my phone. But it's made me, I like, I try to stop and realize I'm like, this is like what life is all about. Like this is what parenting is all about. It's like enjoying your kids and being with your kids. And like, that's the fundamental, like that's the core of, of like being a human is like being together right and instead of focusing on this like something silly as like i can clean the house after they go to bed it doesn't matter and i think that's what the pandemic's done for me it's helped me realize that like it's not going to church that's the most important it's like feeling the spirit or it's thinking about or or learning about god it's not 
so not being able to go to church doesn't fundamentally di- like disable me from being able to like feel God's presence in my life or not being able to hang out with our friends doesn't mean that we can't still socialize and still like spend time with them. We just have to like look back at the fundamentals of what, what is it that we really want in life and like actually focus in on those and stop thinking that it's these like experiences that have to bring that to me. I don't know if that makes any sense. No. Yeah, it totally does. Forces you to focus on the fundamentals and like the, the, the bare minimum basically. Yeah. Be like, how can I still accomplish the core fundamentals here without these old things I was doing? Like, how can I still feel God's presence if I can't go to church anymore? Figure that out. You're right. Like how can, how can I still enjoy and, and develop a strong relationship with my family if we can't do X, Y, Z things anymore? Figure that out. Right. All right. Subtopic. Pivot. I'm sure you have been bombarded on your social media platforms that you need to watch The Social Dilemma. And I think I had probably seen five or six friends post about it before I decided I was going to sit down and watch it. Um, and we had, I think we had watched the trailer, you know, because it was the first thing on Netflix maybe a week or so ago. The trailers suck you in, but they also give you a good idea of what you're going to be watching, spending your time on. And then a particular friend posted about it and I was like, okay, I need, I need to watch it because I think there might be some valuable information in there. So I went into it slightly skeptical that I was going to get anything out of it. I mean, I've kind of pride myself, and I think you do too, on understanding how social media works. Um, I think most people who have ever done businesses, small businesses, or anything where social media is like a big thing, then you you understand how it works. Not many people have had the opportunity to open up the Facebook ads platform and utilize it like I have, because that's where I think you get a lot of this context from a lot of like for some it's shocking but like the average person doesn't understand what's what the capabilities are of driving ads through facebook and google and instagram and that's a lot of what this at least the first part of it brought to light just some common concepts behind social media advertising and the possibilities and really how powerful it can be and just bring that to light and helping the average consumer realize like do you realize like what's possible with a decent amount of money that what can what kind of messages can be spread through these advertising platforms so yeah and they are becoming advertising platforms i mean they're they're losing less of the social aspect that they started with Mm -hmm. and are a place where people gather to be you know fed information or you know discuss information information. less of that and more of just yeah so it used to be a true social platform now it's a forum right so like you can see that facebook's kind of embraced their new reality by you can even see it on the interface of the app they have a tab for groups and groups were like a kind of like a forgotten thing like four years ago now it's like a fundamental part of them because facebook's become this place where people discuss things like the discussions on it are what also drive the ad platform so like that's the purpose of facebook's algorithm is like that it consumes so much of what you read what you write what you look at how long you look at it what kind of stuff you look at and the algorithm gets so good that starts to serve you content 
based on what it thinks that you're going to engage with and read the most and that's going to keep you on the platform the longest. So that's, I think, the, the, the number one thing that people can learn from at least the social dilemma or at least learn in general is that Facebook is engineered and its algorithm is engineered to keep you on the platform longer. I think the average person would accept or it'd be like, oh, yeah, I knew that, right? right? But the purpose of that is the whole concept behind it is so that way you can continue to be served more ads. So if you believe in capitalism, you'd be like, sure, great. But the social dilemma does a good job at kind of focusing on both perspectives of like, there's this capitalistic component behind it, which obviously is, there's can be issues there, but then also there's these political social problems that it can cause. Like the fact that any person with an amount of money can go and purchase advertising to specific groups of people in other countries. Like you can, basically create cyber warfare which has happened and you can you can drive messages and articles or fake articles to another country about democracy and things that are happening in that country that aren't even real and because facebook's so large it's almost impossible for them to catch and so there's just a lot of interesting facts that come from it but i don't even know if that's the direction you're wanting to go with this oh yeah yeah you're pretty knowledgeable i mean you've taken courses on facebook ads and use it in your work life um so you have a good understanding and you share it with me so i feel like i get like secondhand information that's good um one thing that just bugged me and i actually stopped watching it because of this so i stopped about I don't know, maybe 20 minutes into the documentary because I could not stand the dramatizations <laughs> and like the the little stories that they had to explain how the algorithm worked and it was, you know, following this family where they were all tech addicted except for one of the sisters and it just, it kind of took away from the core issue and made it like... More entertaining, but, and I know that, like, documentaries do that. I know that movies do that. I mean, it, human beings want to watch stuff like that. I think the weird thing about it, though, was, like, so you think about all these documentaries that are on, like, Tiger King, for example. That was real footage. But, like, some other documentaries that are on there, like the Jeffrey Epstein one, most of the, like, the B-roll, which is what's playing while people are talking, is, like, images or photos or reenactments but the reenactments don't have audio so it's like somebody's somebody's legitimately telling the story from their real perspective but then there's this like b-roll of reenactment the problem with the social dilemma is the b-roll b i don't know why it's called b-roll but that's what it's called the b-roll dramatization was acted out and like you can hear it so it's as if this there's like this little mini movie going on and, and so they that, keep flashing back to keep it. Flashing back, so like the kid and the the sister like are talking. So the dramatization is actual footage. So it makes it so much more. I guess they're putting like a fake story, not a fake story, but like an actual story to it. And our main problem, I think, was with the dramatization of the AI, where it puts the AI algorithm in like this dramatization of there's these three people and they're kind of like supposed to be the supercomputer and they're talking through their. Like they're thinking of, okay, well, he's done this, so now we're going to serve him this ad. And, oh, don't you think we should serve him this? And like, oh, well, this this would actually make him more depressed, so let's do that. And or like what really bugged me, and I, it lost me here when they were like, okay, he plays soccer, so we're, we're going to not play the 
Don't show him anything athletic so that we can keep him hooked on the phone. We want to show him things that will keep him staying on the phone. And he ends up... I don't want to remind him of the things he likes. And I'm like, that's like, not that's, how algorithms work. That's not how it works. <laughs> like, the that's... What, so, it... Well, one, one part the dramatization is an over-exaggeration, obviously, but it's, it's a little bit two-sided in that they do a good job at explaining how it legitimately works, but then in the dramatization... It appeals to like these really um, like fragmented ideas of how it would work to like the lay person who doesn't understand it. So then it makes you think like, holy crap, are you serious? Like, like this AI is trying to like basically make you more depressed. You're like, no, that's not how an AI works. It doesn't have the com- the ability to say, here are the emotions I want you to feel, and here's the emotions I don't want you to feel. That's not how it works. The fundamental component of the AI is it's trying to drive actions that just keep you on the platform longer so there could be like correlative things that happen because of that but facebook and their programmers and the computer in and of itself is not inherently evil and that's a good thing that they do talk about is like they interview a lot of former executives from different tech companies and they're like we didn't have the like one guy says he's like when we made the like button we didn't think the like button would eventually cause kids to commit suicide He's like, that's the opposite thing of what we would want. Like, we were trying to spread happiness, like putting a like button on something so people could like say, yeah, that's awesome. Not that the kids would eventually actually care about it and it would cause depression and there would be like, the, the catastrophic events that's happened from it. So that's one thing I think to know is like, what were these tools originally built for? What is the AI that that's kind of come to fruition in the last couple of years? What is it actually trying to do? And then understand it and know that it's continuing to, based on how it's built, it's continuing to serve information to us that keeps us on the platform longer. That information is serving our political biases. It's serving our emotional biases and our addictions. Like, because, and that's the correlation, is those are the things that pull you in. Those are the things that cause emotional reactions. And so those types of things are the things that you consume. And when you consume them, you consume them more often. So it's not that like the AI is evil, it's that the kind of the the mission behind it is probably a little bit misguided. Um, one thing that kind of hooked me back in after I was like, oh, I want to turn this off again, this drama is too much, is they highlighted um, specific and generalized conspiracy theories um, and how they relate to social media and they referenced the Pizzagate conspiracy theory, which has you know, gained a lot of traction again with all this um, awareness around sex trafficking. And it showed like footage and news footage and footage from these executives that was like, this is not real. Like, you have to understand how these conspiracy group leaders and just people in general are using these platforms to manipulate you. And to pull you into these types of thinking and actions. I mean, a guy went into a pizza place to tr- and shot and killed people because he thought there were kids that were sex slaves in a basement that didn't exist. All because of a group that was started on Facebook. Like, that's insane to like me. The, the ultimate, like, worst case scenario... Right. that could have happened from this thing but that's why i think is like important for us to realize is 
Facebook is a tool that can be used really effectively by people who have bad intentions, but then it can also be used and and be just as effective with people who might not have bad intentions, but because of how the algorithm is built, those intentions are magnified. Like the, the, the statistic about how false news is shared six times more frequently than, than true news or false information. That's like a statistical average based on just common societal norms. That's the problem is we have this tool that wants you to consume more of the information that keeps you on there longer and that entertains you the most or that makes you the most engaged. So when you mix that concept with the fact that, that humans like to share false information more frequently, it's a perfect storm. Right. Like it causes a perfect issue. And so what they talk about is they're like social media in, innately isn't evil and isn't going to bring down the destruction of the world, but humans will. And what it does is it, it just magnifies the good in the world, but it also magnifies the horrible things and it makes them worse and exacerbates the problem. So I remember hearing in 2016 about quote unquote election interference and how other countries and people in our country were trying to interfere with the election to get a certain person to win. And like in my head, I'm like thinking like, are they casting like, more ballots like how is like I just had this really naive like little kid thought of like how can you possibly possibly, like rig and interfere with a like presidential election that seems insane to me um and after this watching this and listening to some other podcasts and reading some news articles my understanding of um, election interference has been broadened and the social dilemma did a really good job um, highlighting that and explaining how um, that kind of works on social media and how you can be completely influenced and changed by the things that you read and watch Um, because it serves you your own personal reality not even of just your own political spectrum but like the things that trigger or impress you are the things that you're going to continue to see in the feed because of who you are and what the algorithm knows about you. If you haven't watched The Social Dilemma, I highly suggest watching it. It's pretty good. Um, go into it kind of, you know, with an open mind that it might be a little cheesy. Don't take the dramatizations for real because that's the, like, it's a huge over-exaggeration. Yeah, but overall a great informative documentary um let us pivot once more to a movie that we watched um last night so i will bring honor to us all okay we bought mulan last night we spent 30 dollars. treat yourself treat yourself so i had heard mixed reviews i saw on like a mom facebook page that some people really loved it some people didn't but mostly it was kind of like a uh and Most of that was because people watched it with, like, their six-year-olds or their eight-year-olds. And I'm like, uh, that was not what the movie was, the audience that the movie was intended for. Um, It's rated PG-13, so obviously more mature audiences. Um, It was 100% written, filmed, produced for not 13-year-olds. It was produced for... All the kids who were five years old and up in the 90s. So, like, people in their 30s, basically. That's, like, who it was made for. 
Like, yeah, it was made for the the people who are now adults yeah. who were kids when Mulan, yeah. the cartoon, no. came out. Yeah, I don't and, think anybody under the age of like 18 would appreciate the movie. So I think it comes down to the live action remakes that Disney has been doing versus the original cartoons. And I really don't think you can compare them. Well, I think what may have made some people upset was like how they wrote this movie was not the same way that they had done it with Beauty and the Beast or Cinderella. Or no, even Cinderella Jungle. was different. I guess Cinderella, yeah. Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, those were like verbatim. They had the songs. They it was like word for thing. word. It was just a real life, like a live reimag- like remake. This Mulan one's like a reimagination of here's what's the fundamental story, and then if we put this into live action. And, and and made it more culturally accurate for the time and then also culturally accurate for like even the film style so that's another thing i think people need to realize too is like if you've seen other chinese or um, asian film styles especially ones that have action like this was very true to that style and so somebody who's coming into it number one expecting it to be like the cartoon and number two even if they don't they expect it to just be like an american made like film remake it's not like that at all (laughs) no and i and i knew that going in and i was still kind of bummed like i love mulan that was like when i'm i think i was like eight when that came out and it was such a great movie and had such a great message for young girls but i think this one is even better (laughs) i mean it's different but it's better um and the ways that it's better is it mulan doesn't have this huge transformation that she does in the cartoon version where she is like this clumsy forgetful girl who then all of a sudden becomes this like crazy warrior princess like what that's not real whereas this Mulan is like strong and um has the chi and she was yeah the message of it is like she's she's born with all this capability but she's told to suppress it which obviously in this application it's like you're born with this kind of magical power you need to suppress it only men should be using that power right and that's the message is like just because you're a woman doesn't mean that you need to suppress this god-given ability that you're blessed with And, and and as opposed to like in in their cartoon she's like she sings the whole song of like who am i and like my reflection i don't know who i am and like who am i supposed to be and i'm not who i think i should be and she's like questioning her identity whereas in this movie she's like i need to own my like identity which i already have which is i'm a bad a warrior who's got all this power that i've been told to suppress but i shouldn't and i should just embrace it and, and be and like even though i'm a woman if i've been blessed with all this chi and i have all this power like I should freaking use it. Right. Right. But she also like stays true to like, she knows that she needs to honor her family in the way that they want her to. Like before her dad gets the letter and stuff, like she doesn't put up a huge fight. Like I think she does in the cartoon movie, you know? Yeah. She's more, it, it talks about like the, the core values of like loyal, brave, true. And then, love a family or something like that yeah which are like way more culturally accurate more true to chinese values and that's what i like about it is it's more it's just it's a reimagination of this this core story told through the lens 
of it's a live action and through this Asian film style and more culturally accurate. So you have to, you can't, the only thing that you can assume that it's the same is like the basic element of the story, which is here's a girl, she's Chinese. And instead of getting matched, she replaces her dad who's trying to get sent off to war and they're in war with an opposing clan. And that's basically the same part of it. Like the rest that cause and, and they end up accepting her for who she really is. And she saves all of China. Like that's the core story is don't suppress who you truly are. Just because you're a woman doesn't mean you can't do the things a man does. Women can still be everything a man can. And in this situation, just because she's a woman doesn't mean that she couldn't save all of China. And that's what she did. Like that's the core. Right. And I feel like there were so many more like women empowerment, feminist like themes that were more true to at least how I feel about it. Yeah. Um, and they were like subtle too. They weren't like, like in your uh, face. they weren't in your face. They weren't. I'm better than you. Or it was Wally. Where Wally's basically just like a walking commercial for environmentalism. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. They were subtle in like the way that films should portray them, yeah. which was good. Um, I really loved the scene where she is trying to tell the general you know like they're um, coming they're they're gonna get the emperor this has all been like a diversion and the general is like i don't believe you because you're a woman like because i know who you really are now i'm not gonna believe you yeah. and all the other soldiers are like would you have believed her if she was, if she was ping, which is, ping like, is the cartoon one what is it uh, wajin or no it's Waju, like, no Wajun. Wajun. So Wa is her, and that's another thing, they changed the last name, so I think Wa is probably more Chinese culturally accurate name than Fa Mulan, but, so she's Wa Mulan, so she goes by Wajun, and that's the best line in the whole movie, is one of the guys that she's, like, friends with in the military, is he's like, wouldn't you have believed Wajun? Why wouldn't you believe Wa Mulan? And then, and then it just shows, like, the general kind of, like, staring and realizing, coming to realization, and then all of a sudden, like six or seven guys in a row go like, I believe Wa Mulan. I we believe, believe we believe Wa Mulan. And like, I almost got teary-eyed because like, I feel like that was such a, and I could be reading into this, like, we believe women. We believe women when they speak up. We believe women when they speak up about things that are wrong and about things that are right. And we're not gonna, you know, just dismiss them. I really liked that. On a lighter note, which we've been talking too seriously about this. It was so great. The action was freaking awesome. So good. I loved how they still... So many people complain. They're like, Mushu's not in this. I'm like, Mushu couldn't be in this because of how they filmed the movie. Like, they're not going to have... It's not like Beauty and the Beast or Jungle Book where, like, the core of the story is having talking animals. Like, Mushu's not a core of the story. He's like He's like a side character but he's really just her guardian. So she still has a guardian and it's more, again, culturally accurate in this situation. It's like a Phoenix, but it's still the concept of Mushu is still there. She's got this guardian angel who's kind of there symbolically to help her realize that like her father is looking out for her and that she's on the right path. And so it still falls in line with like, she's got this animalistic thing. It doesn't talk to her. He doesn't make jokes and he's not like, it's not freaking Eddie Murphy. Like it is in Mulan. <laughs> like, and, and, in this type of cinematic style, you're not going to have like constant satire. That's the thing. It's like in regular Mulan, it's constant satire. And Mushu has so much 
which don't get me wrong i love the original but like that's not culturally that that's just it's it didn't have a place in how the story was told so and there still in. was like still funny humor. parts oh my gosh yeah like but subtle and it was like, subtle and i like, constant, like i laughed funny. yeah but it wasn't like so serious that like i mean they had like the comic relief that i think it needed like a normal movie would and by far best part was the musical themes so like it had this really traditional um chinese music score like way more vast than the cartoon it was like full orchestra and really emotional but it was so cool because they're at these different scenes they would have like the melodies from these core songs from the original kind of play but and they'd come at the right points in the story and it was oh so good it was so awesome so much better than had there been like singing in it, it would have been weird you couldn't have had that's another thing you couldn't have had singing through this story style or cinematic style like that doesn't exist in this kind of cinematic story style so right and that's they still they're still honored to us all (laughs) they still like paid homage to those songs which i thought was awesome well thanks for listening to our little movie review slash vent parenting we were all over and you stayed with us so thank you thanks for listening to the parents who talk podcast if you like what you've heard please leave us a review and share the love make sure to follow us on instagram at the parents who talk and join our exclusive facebook group the parents who talk podcast remember to be yourself and do your best